want the money. I want the title. And I can get it because I'm already doing the work. You've thought it. Now it's time to actually believe it. You're listening to Her Next Career Move, the safe space where you'll learn how to stop your mind from career blocking you so you can claim the wealth and work you deserve. I'm Dr. Jasmine Escalera, a career-minded Latina turned Forbes featured coach, and I'm ready to have some candid conversations about how you can build the confidence to step into the career you know you deserve. All right, now let's get going. Hey, everybody, and welcome to yet another episode of Her Next Career Move. We know that as women of color, we face a lot of challenges walking into any corporate environment. But here's the thing. By just being there, are we actually creators of change? Are there things that we can be doing as women of color to be the disruptors in these corporate environments? Well, that is what my guest today is talking all about. How showing up as you and owning 110% who you are can create the change we're looking for in corporate America. So, Nicole, welcome, welcome. I'm so excited to have you on the podcast episode. Same here. I've been waiting for this conversation, so I'm looking forward to talking to you and your audience as well. Amazing. So, Nicole, I remember when we met on LinkedIn, on the LinkedIn streets. It's amazing (laughs) because I feel like I'm always telling people, connect with others on LinkedIn. And one of the things that I absolutely love about LinkedIn is connecting with amazing coaches like you. And we took our love of each other off the LinkedIn streets and into the Zoom line and had the opportunity to chat. I had the opportunity to learn about you. You learned about me. And it was just, I feel like serendipity because what you were talking was everything that I wanted to hear about leadership, about showing up as you, and about totally disrupting corporate America. So I'm so ready for this chat. But before we jump into it, tell the listeners about you and your business and why you started it. There's always a unique story to why we started our businesses. Sure. So, you know, I I get that question a lot, Jasmine. And I, the, the thing about it is I don't know if there's just one reason I've started my started the business. So the name of my business is called The Change Doc, and it's called The Change Doc for various reasons, but primarily because I'm on a mission to change the executive suites across the globe, right? So I truly believe that the only way we're going to change the world of work for ourselves today and for our uh, children and grandchildren, generations to come, is to change those people who are in power, to diversify the C-suite with more women as well as more people of color. Um, And so that's the reason why I started the business. And that all came about, frankly, from my own personal journey. I've been in in the corporate space for about 25 years. And I, like many of your listeners, have been the only for decades in whatever room um, I'm in. But I learned very quickly that being a leader, whether it's leading myself or leading others, leading teams, departments, organizations, was one way in which I had the opportunity to shape 
not only my experience, but the experience of others. And so that was my path of empowerment. And I've been able to help other women do the same thing. And it makes a drastic difference, not only in your personal experience, but you get to influence so much uh, around you, so much in terms of the environments that you're in, so much in terms of the people who are coming behind you and their experiences and their journeys in terms of their work life and personal lives. I think we tend to underestimate how much influence leaders actually have on others that surround them. Absolutely. I love that. It's almost kind of like that thought process of as you uplift yourself, you even have the capacity to uplift others. And when I think about that being the only, I remember just feeling like stepping into these rooms as the only Latina, as the only woman of color, as the only woman so often. Mm -hmm. I felt so scared, afraid to show myself and to represent myself. Because when you don't see yourself and your journey in the people around you, it can really be a scary situation. So being the only, you were talking about diversifying the C-suite, how you were the only very often, how did that affect you as the only? So I, I would say that it had a two effects on me, right? So I definitely felt the emotional and psychological stress of being the only. So I was very cognizant of having to be looked at as representing other women and other Black people, people of color. I also felt like I had to be on my P's and Q's, right? There was no room, like there was absolutely no room for error when it came to kind of just showing up in those spaces. Uh, But another part of me, honestly, was actually pretty honored. I recognized that not everybody has those types of opportunities. And I did grasp the opportunity to kind of learn and to kind of figure out kind of the ins and outs, the things that people don't always talk openly about in terms of how to be successful in those spaces. So I felt both ends of the spectrum when it came to being the only Oh, I need to dive into this because I love how you talked about both ends of the spectrum because perspective is key, right? So when we walk into these environments and spaces, we can either feel like the only and defeated or we can feel like the only and hell yeah, I deserve to be here. This is my space. So having that feeling of, yeah, you know, I'm the first one to do this in my family, in my community, and have that be a really uplifting feeling. But it can be hard to lean into that. So was there anything that you did differently or said to yourself differently? Or, you know, was there something that gave you that perspective of, oh, wow, I'm the only and I'm honored? So I think one part of it was that No one ever said to me, Nicole, you have to do this, right? No one ever said to me, you have to, you know, make your living in corporate America or you have to move into senior leadership. That's actually something that I chose. And so I think a part of the way that I dealt with things eventually was recognizing that this was a choice. I choose to be here. No one is making me be here in corporate America and doing the things that I choose to do, right? Um, So that kind of took the pressure off. I recognized that I was internalizing things that I didn't necessarily need to internalize. And I think that that's just a level of self-awareness, self-actualization that goes on. But the other thing that was important for me to not kind of 
get bogged down to look at it as a, as a privilege is that in the corporate environment, frankly, <laughs> you know, when I think about the truth of the matter is that there's about 50% of women or 50% of the workplace is represented by women, right? So 48% globally, we're there. And if I think about in the 70s, we weren't even 15%, right? So the the growth of us women being in the workplace has significantly increased. But when it comes to moving into leadership, that number dwindles. We move from representing 50% to like representing about 20, 25%, about 27% actually, right? From individual contributor to moving to a manager. And then it just continues to decrease, decrease, decrease until you move up into the C-suite. And at the C-suite level, we're like uh, about 15% right now, 10, 15%. And even less for women of color, right? We're like at six, six to six to 8% is the estimate. All that to say that as part of my journey, I had the opportunity to work with a lot of younger women, people of color in the workplace and just them being able to see someone like myself in a leadership role was enough motivation to demonstrate to them that they could do it. So when you ask the question of how was I able to kind of lean into the positive aspect of it, I didn't necessarily have to take on the burden of, of being um, the, the only, right? I could choose to be there or not be there. But one of the things that made it exciting for me was to be able to be a model or role model or actually just be represent people who were coming up behind me. And I wasn't able to engage with you know younger professionals on a day-to-day basis just so that they could see and have I have conversations with them. I understand what they're going through. And that was probably the, the spark for me that said, you know what, Nicole, you could actually make a living just helping the younger generation kind of get into the C-suite or become leaders or to, to be the best at whatever they're trying to do in the corporate space. I love this because... What really hit me, so I love the fact of motivating others to to see that it's possible, right? Yeah. And it's one of the things I love with with my business in particular is it's why I do all of my healing. I like to heal all of the different sides of myself to motivate people to see that when you do heal the different sides of yourself, every facet of your life changes, including your career. But what really hit me was when you said, I can choose to be here or to not be here. And so I think it's really important that we understand that the empowerment that we feel in our career comes from the fact that we do have control. We have control of the spaces that we're in. We have control over the work that we do. We are in control. And I think when it comes to corporate America or, or any job, because we are getting paid to do work we sometimes like relinquish that control. And it's really important that everybody hear those words that you said, that in order to lean into that feeling of being honored to be here and really moving yourself forward so that you can be the motivator for others, it was about knowing that you chose to be in that space. Yes. And I'm so glad that you pointed that out because it is a core kind of value that I try to instill as part of my coaching as well. So, and what I will say is there's two things that within my career that allowed me to have confidence in myself and not feel trapped. 
not feel like I was tied to the paycheck or, you know, not feel like I had to stay in one environment and not look elsewhere. The two things were that I always had a choice, right? Like, um, and I think recognizing that some that came before us in terms of, you know, when I think about my mom and my dad and, and their work environment, like they were tied to the paycheck. When I think about my grandparents, for example, who never ever worked in any type of formal employment, their experience was completely different. They didn't even have the opportunity. And so for me, just knowing that I have choices is one thing that kind of kept me from not feeling like I was shackled to the corporate environment or to one specific job. The other thing, the the number two thing that allowed me mentally to stay free, right? And to keep control over my own career is being good at what I do. And so I tell my clients all the time, look, being good at what you do is your price of entry. And once you know that you're good at what you do, then you by default understand that you don't have to be stay in one environment, whether it's toxic, whether it is, you know, the best salary you ever had, you know, whether you like the people, if that environment is not conducive to bringing out your best then if you're good at what you do, you know that you can be in demand and be successful in another environment. You just have to have the courage to go and find the environment, the optimal environment for you. So to me, those two things um, really help boost people's confidence and help you kind of not feel stuck as you know that you have other options available to you. Yes, I love that. That's so awesome. And knowing that you're good at what you do begins with knowing what you're good at. And that begins with a lot of self-reflection. And so I love this about know that you're good at what you do because that helps you boost the courage to say like, nah, I deserve better. I deserve to be in better places. I deserve to be in better spaces. I deserve to be in that seat at the table. Absolutely. But in order to get there, you got to know what you're good at doing. And that takes some time to do some self-reflection. So I love this chat. So I want to dive into our topic We are really here to talk about how we can change corporate America. And when people look at the title of this episode and what we're talking about, they might roll their eyes and be like, there are so many damn things wrong with that environment and space. I'm in it. I see it every day. How am I going to create change? But I remember sitting in a meeting once. It was a virtual meeting. There was this amazing Latina, and she said something that was so powerful. She said, just because we are in the room, we are already changing the space. Just because we're in the room, we are already changing the space. And so I want to ask you, when we think about changing or transforming corporate environments, it makes me think of us being the disruptors, which I'm like, ooh, this is fun. Like, let's disrupt the hell out of this space. (laughs) But we do know we face a lot of barriers, right? So how can we truly be the disruptors in this space? Like, how does that actually work? So I actually like what your, the woman that you observed, I actually 100% agree with her, her assessment, right? Like just being there, being in the seat, being, you know, just having a voice in the corporate environment as a woman, woman of color, to me, 
we're already disrupting, right? Because the truth of the matter is we know that those environments were not created for us. We also know that the system is broken, but just because the system is broken doesn't mean you have to let it break you, right? That's another thing that I always say. And so, and I, as a sidebar, I do not, I'm not set, I'm not setting out to fix the system <laughs> because that is a heavy, heavy, heavy burden to um, put on any one person, but I am setting out to make an impact, to make change. So to answer your question, Jasmine, I think the way that we can disrupt is actually showing up and being your authentic self. The reality is that when I say show up, I don't mean just, you know, I think many of us kind of go to work and we may go through the motions because, you know, we may be feeling, you know, broken down by, you know, something that's happening outside of work, or, you know, maybe we feel like our voice is not respected within the corporate environment. And I would say that your voice, your thoughts, and your voice, your ideas and your voice are probably your most powerful tools in any environment, including in the corporate space. And so the way that I always say that we can most disrupt is actually by sharing our thoughts and our ideas. The reason why is because we have such a unique perspective, right? Like I'm a chick from, I'm I'm from Brooklyn. I grew up in the hood. Nobody ever thought that I was ever going to be in the boardroom per se, but just the perspective of my experiences as a young woman in seeing what's happening in Brooklyn, being able to survive, using all, leveraging all of my, you know, things that my Caribbean parents taught me that I, you know, when I was bullied, like all of these things that we may experience uniquely that our white male or even white female counterparts may not have experienced, the lens is completely different. And that allows us to look at the same situations that they might be looking at, but we interpret it very different and we have a unique contribution to make. And so I will always say our number way to disrupt is to use our brains and to vocalize what we're thinking and sharing our ideas because we have the ability to analyze and think strategically in a way that when we were younger, it might've been us just surviving, but now we are using it in a corporate environment to solve bigger systemic problems and issues for our teams and for the company, right? That's one way I think we can disrupt. Another way I think we can disrupt is truly, I believe, leading others. I truly believe that my leadership legacy and the women that I coach, their legacy is grooming and educating and helping others become and get into positions of power within the corporate space, right? Because the truth of the matter is, I think corporate is looked at as this kind of evil place, I personally see it as a microcosm. It's just a it's just an example of the larger society. There's nothing happening in corporate America or corporate worldwide that's not necessarily happening in society in general. But the what I love about the corporate space is that when you get into leadership, you have an opportunity to leverage the power in a different way. Like you become 
one of the decision makers. You become one of the influencers. And again, it's not just the influence of that environment, that work environment, but you start making decisions about whatever your company is doing. So if your company is serving customers, you get to be making decisions that kind of go outside of your company walls. Um, You get to uh, make decisions about how your team members, younger generations think and what they do and how they too can become, grow into leadership and they're kind of passing down more positive ways of managing the business. So I think the disruptive happens when you kind of show up as yourself and you leverage the tools that we may naturally dismiss as not being important, but they're actually the essence of who we are and how we can make a difference in the corporate space. Okay. So there's so much there, so much goodness, so much richness. And you said a few things that like actually like legit gave me goosebumps. Um, and I want everyone to like listen back on this. Okay. Um, and I'll tell you, I'll, I'll, I'll be real with you and tell you the real reason why like I kind of stopped a little bit dead in my tracks. What you said about your story growing up in Brooklyn. You know, I grew up in Brooklyn too. I'm an 80s baby. So I grew up in Brooklyn during the 90s, which was hard. And I grew up in the projects. We grew up poor. That poverty living and that poverty mindset and that scarcity mindset that you grow up with, that survival instinct you were talking about, the tenacity, the resilience, the determination that you end up having as an adult just because of what you went through as a child, that can be utilized as such a major strength. Where others give up, you only see opportunities. Where others kind of get stuck in their thought process, you are always thinking about solutions. That survival characteristic of us is such a major asset I don't think we should live in that space, but it's a major asset to utilize in every aspect of your life, especially your career. And it can be one of those things that you were talking about, what are you good at, right? Knowing what you're good at. You could be the best damn problem solver just because of who you are and how you grew up. I had chills hearing you talk about that because it's so true. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think... I think when we think about, you know, what are our skills, if someone asks us that question, many of us immediately, immediately jump to whatever we were educated on, meaning like whatever our subject matter expertise might be. But I will always say that your subject matter expertise is important, but in a work environment, whatever work environment it is, doesn't necessarily have to be corporate, but in a work environment, those softer skills, the ones that we tend to underestimate, will always be your differentiator. And so problem solving, absolutely. Particularly, I I hate that we as people, we as women, women of color, have to go through so many hardships and have to face so many barriers. But I tend to look at the other side of the coin, that once you get through those experiences, the skills that you have, the resilience that you build, all of those things can be turned into think positives that serve you moving forward. 
right? You, we have a choice. We can choose to kind of allow the the barriers and the the negativity to kind of suck us suck us dry. You know, just take take from our soul um, and take from our happiness, or we can think about how we can leverage these things to our advantage. And I prefer to think about it in terms of how can we leverage them to our advantage to be able to either move us forward, to be able to change our mindset, but something that will serve us going forward rather than just take from us in the moment. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think, you know, so... Here's something interesting to just kind of bring up, and I'd love your thoughts on this. I feel like we lean on this concept and idea of professional looking a certain way. And the professional standard that we're holding ourselves to, that our parents probably are like trying to teach us, my parents were trying to teach me, is this very whitewashed sort of professional standard that doesn't actually fit us and who we are. And so you said like, you know, when we think about our strengths, when we think about our skills, we immediately go to the education. We immediately go to the things that we were taught in this very structured system, which is a very whitewashed structured system and a whitewashed way of thinking about professionalism. It's almost kind of like we think we have to do that. And we think we have to relinquish or let go of these experiences that made us who we are. And I'm wondering if you have any thoughts on that, because I had a conversation with someone recently where we were talking about how sometimes we even propagate this narrative that we have to let go of those parts of us in order to be successful. This one is a tough one, right? Because I feel like we hear, I'm going to choose my words carefully, only because I want to challenge us. I want to challenge us, Jasmine, you, myself, and the listeners in terms of where this comes from, right? So I do believe that there was a time for sure where there were things like a dress code, right? I remember um, when I was first interviewing for jobs coming out of my graduate program, like the dress code was you wear a black or blue suit with a white shirt and right, like you you have to wear your hair up and like there was truly a, and I remember counselors, career counselors kind of telling us, this is what you have to do, right? To be able to be accepted as a professional or to look the part. I think that that has changed drastically over over time. And I do think that, and I'm very, very proud of so many people now talking and saying differently, right? Like you don't have to wear your hair a certain way. And particularly for women of color, you can wear your natural hair. You know, you don't have to be with pounds of makeup on and all of that stuff. And so now I feel like there are enough messages out in the ethos to go against necessarily that kind of buttoned up suit all the time, white shirt, crisp, you know, heels and all of that stuff. So now when I hear women or even see women kind of exhibiting the old, what I call the old code, I will always ask the question of why? Like, are you doing this because you think this is the way to do it? Are you doing this because someone actually told you that you have to look, quote unquote, the part, dress, quote unquote, the part? Or is this something that's held over in you, you've internalized this message from somewhere and someplace, or 
It could be the the fourth thing, which is people that you respect or that you want to emulate might look like this. I'll tell you right now, I do not subscribe to any of that stuff, right? And and I think it really goes back to um, what we were talking about earlier, which is if you have a level of, if you're really good at what you do and you have the choice, you truly do have a choice in terms of where you work, how you work, et cetera, then playing by quote unquote, these unwritten corporate rules or what legacy rules of the corporate environment becomes less important to you because the reality is that you know that your contributions far exceed and far outpace any prescriptive look and feel of how you might show up. Now, I definitely think, there's no doubt about it, I definitely think that there's obviously a certain level of respect, right? So there's the physical aspect of professionalism, but then there's the other aspect of just how you show up in a work environment, you know, like allowing people to say their piece without you interrupting. I think of that as being professional, right? When you have healthy disagreements and debates openly, like I feel like that to me is a level of professionalism as well. And all of those still continue too. But I think I would encourage us all to think about what things have been passed down as more like folklore or what used to be two decades ago versus what's actually reality now and whether or not it's something that someone's told us, hey, this is the dress code. This is how we we need you to show up or whether or not it's things that we've read over time and kind of internalized and we assume we have to show up that way. Absolutely. I love I love how you broke it down because it's almost like, you know, there are things and this is just belief work, right? There are things that are passed down to us that we incorporate into our beliefs as an early child. But as adults with different privileges, as adults in a different world, it is our responsibility to decide what we can continue to propagate and what we don't want to anymore and to release those things and let them go. And what I'm hearing you say is almost kind of define it in your way, like show up how you want and release those old concepts because they're actually not in service of us anymore. Correct. Exactly. Absolutely. Yeah. I love that. So let's talk about leadership. So what if you want to be a leader in the corporate space? You've been talking a lot about what that means and the impact that it can have towards disrupting the corporate space. But if you yourself wants to be a leader, someone who's creating this level of change from the top, what are some of the key leadership skills that we as women of color should be focused on and developing to get that seat? Man, the list is long, but let me <laughs> let me prioritize. And listen, I, I can talk about leadership, as you probably already know, Jasmine. I could talk about this uh, topic for, for days on end. But I would say, like I mentioned before, so I would say that one of the, there's probably three different skills that I would say for women in particular. And, and the reason why I'm, these skills are needed for any gender, right? But for women in particular, I always think about what's going to differentiate us, right? We're already unique unicorns, unfortunately. Like I mentioned, the higher you move up in leadership, the less represented women are and definitely women of color. 
But I also think about the truth of the matter is the more you move up in leadership, the less your actual subject matter expertise is what makes you successful. Now, I know that might come as a shock for many of our our listeners, but subject matter expertise is usually the majority of how you contribute to an organization, particularly, you know, your first few years being out of college or entering in the workforce. But the more you move up in leadership, the less your subject matter expertise matters. And so when I think about the top three things I would advise women to to really focus on, the top three skills, One is actually knowing how the business works. So it doesn't matter if your company makes widgets or they make Wakanda materials, Wakanda paraphernalia, whatever your business, the business that you work for, whatever they do, knowing how the business works is imperative. And I'm saying that because many of us get so, we get so excited and we love whatever area we're trained in, whether it's marketing or production or HR, like we, we are so passionate about our actual functional area and expertise that we fail to take the time to truly understand how the company makes money or how the company serves the customer or how the company impacts the environment. And the reason why that's important is because the level of conversations you can have as a leader with other leaders, when you're able to demonstrate that you have an intricate understanding of how the business works, the more impact you can make, the more respected your opinion will be, the more you can talk the other person's language and get them to understand what's important to you. So understanding the business and how it works, regardless of what your subject matter expertise is probably the first skill that I will say is very important, particularly for women. The second thing I would say is really important is emotional intelligence. And I think that's probably, I'm sure Many of our listeners may have already heard the term and have heard that it's important for uh, being a leader. But the reason why emotional intelligence is, is such an important skill to have the higher you move up in leadership is because it is true that relationships, work gets done through relationships, with, particularly in the corporate environment. And so the higher level of emotional intelligence that you have, the more you can see and understand or understand what people are thinking and feeling without their them actually telling you, right? The more you can read the cues, the more you can um, understand their needs at a deeper level. And that helps you, as you can imagine, let's, let's imagine you're leading a team, you, that helps you to help them be more productive to get what they need in the corporate space. It also helps you, frankly, when you're talking to customers. It helps you when you're talking to, look, it it helps us at home, frankly, right? Like when you're able to truly understand and see how people are feeling, what they're thinking, how that's impacting them, that helps you to kind of psychologically connect on a level that even they may not realize. And you can leverage that to their advantage and to whatever outcome you're trying to accomplish as well. So emotional intelligence would be a second skill set that I say, that I really believe that we need as women. The good thing is though, that we as women 
Most women naturally have that instinct. It's just being able to leverage it in the corporate environment for business as well as what we, how we leverage it externally. Um, so that's a second one. And then the third one, I would say strategic thinking. And so everybody, I'm sure, is like rolling their eyes. Strategic thinking, strategic thinking. But this goes back to the conversation we were having earlier about problem solving, right? So easiest way I can describe strategic thinking is being able to project what's going to happen, being able to predict what's going to happen either in your marketplace, in your industry, on a project. Like you can see into the future, weeks into the future, even years into the future, but you start solving for those anticipated problems now, right? When I say strategic thinking, it's all about kind of advanced problem thinking, advanced problem solving, and you're able to navigate or avoid issues and challenges that other people who may not be strategically thinking are going to run into. So that gives you the advantage, gives your team the advantage, organization the advantage. And that is such a critical skill as you want to move up into leadership. I love how you talked about the problem solving part because I don't think we focus enough on how important it is to connect our greatness and what we're good at doing to an organization's actual problems. Like if you can show that you can solve an organization's problems, you become such a tremendous asset to them. And that helps you with so many different things. It helps you with identifying the right environments, the right jobs, the right companies. It helps you feel more confident because you become that asset. It helps you move up the ladder as you're talking about with leadership. It helps you negotiate for more money. There's so much richness in what you were mentioning. And I was clued into problem solving because, you know, in my program, The Professional Quitters, I talk a lot about problem solving. And we're talking about it from the perspective of getting the right job, showing you're a problem solver so you can land a job. But showing you're a problem solver is what you should be doing in all aspects of your career. So much so. And look, we, as women, that's all we do is solve problems, right? So I think about just running my household. When I was single, just running my household was I was solving problems left and right, right? And then obviously, if you have a family, you know, a nuclear family or extended family, we are solving problems all the time in our personal lives. It's just leveraging that. That is a skill set that you can leverage in your career and or in for your on behalf of your organization. And it's so innate in us that I think we don't necessarily we don't lead with it. We don't put that at the forefront. It's it comes so naturally to us in our personal lives that we truly underestimate how powerful it is and how beneficial it can be for us in our careers, as well as for the organizations that we might be working for. Absolutely. Oh, Nicole, this conversation has been so rich. It has been so raw. Thank you so much for just bringing so many different aspects of you, including the Brooklyn girl, <laughs> into this chat. I love that. I love that you talked about Brooklyn. I, I have to say I, I miss Brooklyn a lot, but I miss the old Brooklyn, not, yeah, not the Brooklyn that we have today, which is the yeah. reason why I left. I, I, I'm going to have to be honest with you. I, I feel... I feel like I don't even recognize it anymore. <laughs> it's, 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 yeah. so different. 
It's so different. But when I go home and I walk the streets, the memories keep me, you know, they keep me warm, essentially. It looks different, but those nooks and crannies, you know, those alleyways, those one-way streets, like no one can ever, you know, it's it's so much of who I am at this point in time that I, I just kind of revel in that versus, yeah, what it looks like today for sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. So Nicole, I always love to ask this question of all of my guest experts. Sure. You know, when we think back on our careers, when we think back about our younger career selves, there may be some things that you wish that younger version of you knew and could capitalize on that knowledge at that early stage. So what would you tell your younger career self if you had a piece of advice to give to her? I think I would say create your own path. And I'm saying that because, and I think it still happens today where, you know, we get kind of set on one, one thing, one path, um, you know, one area of subject is subject matter expertise, one degree, it doesn't really matter, but we get so focused on the one goal that we might have for ourselves that even when the signs are telling us, mm, this ain't for you, or, mm, you know, you really don't like this, we force ourselves to stay on the path, whatever the path is. And it's a path we chose, just <laughs> let's not get it twisted. We likely chose it for ourselves in some shape, form, or fashion. And we get so focused on it that even when we don't like it anymore, or it's not, we feel like it's not right for us, we want to finish it. And I would say, as a person who's changed careers several times and changed companies a few times, right, and changed my interests a few times, we as human beings, we are not supposed to be locked into any one thing, right? The diversity of interests that we have, and particularly in this day and age where we are being exposed to so many more different things and tons and tons of information to the point that we're information overload, I would say don't lock yourself into something, particularly a career path, if you know that it's not for you. It's okay to pivot and it is okay to make a change. Yes, I love that. I'm always screaming to the rooftops that we 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 have this like, you know, the word career path or the term career path. We think it's like this linear path, you yeah. know, and it's paved and there's no rocks and we just walk it and it's roses and sunshine. But it doesn't look like that. And that's okay. And yeah. you're allowed to make changes along the way. And in fact, when you were talking about before about, you know, doing what you're good at doing, you have to know what you're good at doing. And that when you know what you're good at doing, you create pivot points. And what you're good at doing changes as you learn, evolve, and grow. So I love that. Yeah, create your own. Yeah, for sure. Love it. Awesome. Well, Nicole, this has been such an amazing conversation. So tell us, how can the listeners follow you, get in contact with you, learn about what you're doing in terms of your leadership coaching? First of all, Jasmine, thank you so much for having me. I there was points in the conversation where I was getting mad amped. I like I was you you can't see me, but Yay! I was like at the edge of my seat. So thank you so much for allowing me to kind of share my thoughts with you and with with your crew here. So for me, so like I, I mentioned earlier, the name of my organization is called the Change Doc, and I help women 
who want to get into leadership and who want to get into the executive suite. So I help you get promoted. I help you refine your leadership skills. um, And I help you become the in-demand leader in your company and in your industry. So if anyone is interested in learning more about the Change Doc, learning more about me, you can find me on uh, LinkedIn. I'm Dr. Nicole A. Bryan. Or you can look up my company, The Change Doc. I'm at www.thechangedoc.com. And I would love to, my, my, and I always say my DMs are always open. As a, as a leader, I say to my team, my door is always open. And to my community, I say my DMs are always open. So questions are always welcome and introductions are welcome as well. Absolutely. Our doors are always open on LinkedIn and yours should be too. You should <laughs> you should be using it and like connecting with people and connect with Nicole for sure. I love everything that you do, Nicole, and it's so necessary and so needed for us to claim those seats so that we can create the disruption that is needed in corporate America, as we've been talking about this whole time. So everyone follow Nicole. All of the links she mentioned will be in the show notes. And Nicole, we also talked about you coming back to do another episode to talk about even more great things that we need to know about leadership, leadership development, and how we can claim those leadership spots as women of color. So Nicole, we'll be back, y'all, for sure. And thank you so much. Yes, Amazing. (laughs) Thank you so much, everyone, for listening to this amazing conversation. It was so good, so juicy. You may have to listen to some parts again, and please do. Follow Nicole for sure, and until next time. That's all for today's show. Now that you know what you know, it's your move. So girl, get out there and make it. And if you have suggestions for topics you'd like me to talk about in the next episode, perhaps something that might help you get unstuck, then let me know by sending a DM on our Instagram page, at Her Next Career Move. Don't forget to leave us a rating. And subscribe to the show to support our movement to flood the work world with dope women of color ready to take it over.